You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. As always, I'm your host Daniel Lee or Photos by DLEE. I know it's been a while, but today we're back again with a special episode which will be all about the Sony Alpha A7 Mark IV review. Now, like any other review episode, no news, no what I've been up to, we're just going to get straight into it. So if you're not familiar with how I do these, it's pretty much similar to the written review, which I'm hoping you're reading. The written review is a bit more, cons- bit more anyway, concise, has the images, all that kind of stuff for your viewing pleasure, whereas this I get to go in a little bit more detail and just waffle on a bit about the camera and a bit more of the backstory of why I got the camera, that kind of stuff. So as always, this gear, any gear I've been using, I have used, I've always bought with my own money. Don't have any sponsors, there are no affiliate links in the review, nothing like that, all, all mine. So yeah, you don't have to worry about my opinion being swayed by anything because it's all mine, pure opinion. So first off, we'll start off, you know, my history of Sony. So this isn't my first Sony body. My first Sony body was the Sony Alpha A7 Mark III. That was sort of like a revolutionary camera because of the amount it offered for the price it did. I really loved that camera. It did have its shortcomings, which, you know, annoyed me, like the screen, the autofocus, because it never got real-time tracking. It was a few things like that. So, you know, because of that and those shortcomings, I did enjoy the lenses a lot, but, you know, those Canon, I guess it was... Looking back, it was very gas, but Canon tempted me, so I ended up selling that Sony A7 Mark III for the Canon EOS R6, as at the time, it had the fully articulating screen, it had a nicer EVF, it had better autofocus, there was, and then the lenses were quite tempting, like the RF 35mm f1.8. At the time, there was no 35GM, so that may have changed things, you know, there was no 16-35G, there was a lot of interesting and exciting options over Canon, so I decided to swap. It was pretty good for a while. I had that body for two years, nearly three years, I believe, from off the top of my head. Two years would have been about two years because I got it during 2020. But I got to the point where I loved the body, but not the lenses. There was, you know, every lens I own, which I own quite a few, there was just something about them that, you know, let them down. Majority of them, it was the AF motor. It was loud, not as great. Or, you know, on other lens options you had, they also were either very, very, very expensive or, you know, they had a very slow aperture on the long end, that kind of, on the, you know, max end, like variable apertures to f7.1 or f8, that kind of stuff to keep the size down. But pretty much when it came to looking for a wide angle lens, that's what really pushed me over the edge and what made me decide. Because when I looked at all my options, so I'm going to give you some, this is in the article as well, so you can see a little table, but... When I was shooting Canon, my options mainly were the Canon RF 14 to 35mm f4 LIS. That one, you know, on sale currently, obviously the prices back then were different. That was about a bit higher back then. But as of, you know, the writing last week, you know, the previous week to when this releases, that lens was going for 2,179 AUD. Now, the other option I had was the Canon RF 15 to 30 f4.5 to f6.3 IS that one was 858. So now that's obviously a pretty reasonable price, but depending on what you use the lens for, that f6.3 on the long end is very, very hard to deal with. Like only to be honest, even f4 can be a bit hard to deal with when you're indoors at night and you need that extra light. 
if you're purely shooting landscapes, cityscapes, and that kind of stuff, X6FX, F6.3 has no issue, to be honest. But, you know, for what I want to use it, it's kind of like a multi-purpose and a landscape lens when I use when I travel. So I need a fast aperture. The next option, which I previously owned, is the Canon EF16-35 F4 LIS. Now, with that, I would need to buy an adapter to use that, which is, you know, a few hundred. Actually, I believe I had the adapter, but say I didn't, you know, it would be a few hundred. And then the lens itself was 1,756 at the cheapest I could get it from a non-gray retailer. Keep in mind, the first time I owned this lens, I bought it from a legitimate seller for only 1,000 AUD. This price had been jacked up so much, so it's not worth it, to be honest. So looking at Sony, now with Sony, you have third-party options. So you have so many. You have, I believe, the Sigma 14-24 to f2.8 or f4 or something like that is around 1800 but that one's a bit bigger and a bit heavier i want something as light as possible so that brought me the two options the sigma 16 to 28 f2.8 dgd and contemporary lens now that one's only about 400 grams it's around 400 450 something very light like that it's a 2.8 lens that one's only 1099 so that's already cheaper than the ef lens and already cheaper than the much, much cheaper, more than the RF 14 to 35 is double the price. And that 15 to 30 is only about $200 cheaper. And you can probably get that Sigma lens with 15, 20% off regularly on eBay when it goes on sale too. So that's not even a good price. So that's already bidding it there. Now, the current cheapest price I could see it for was the Sony FE 16 to 35 F4G PZ, so power zoom lens, which is a lens I bought. That one, at the moment is 1535 so AUD, $1,535. Now, I bought that for only $1,400, so that is nearly $400 cheaper than the EF16-35 LIS. Now, that lens does have IS, but it is about 300 grams, 200 grams or so heavier because this one's only about 350, 380 for the 16-35 on Sony. It's a much newer lens, better optically, smaller, light, pretty much lighter. It's the much, much better lens, honestly. So, Looking at these wide angle options made me realize how much more I'd have to spend. You know, did I want to, especially for a 35mm, if I wanted something with a better focus mode, that the only option was to adapt the much heavier, older Sigma EF 35mm art or get this uh, Canon EF 35mm F1.4 L2, which is about $3,000, $2,800, around that price, which is stupidly overpriced. Or on Sony, I could get the 35GM which is a very small, light, but extremely sharp, beautiful rendering 35mm for only about 1800 AUD. So obviously, you know, and this goes the same for the 85mm. I could get the Sigma 85mm DN art when there wasn't a comparable option. You know, the actual Sigma old EX lens for Canon mount was massive and so, so, so heavy. So that's not really an option. Plus the newer one has the exact same optical quality, but much smaller. So in my opinion, if you're shooting Canon, you're listening to this, thinking about swapping over. If you have EF lenses, you know, I think sometimes Canon can work, you know, because you're not, you're just adapting, you're not buying brand new. But for anyone who does not have any camera gear at the moment and wants these kind of lenses, you just can't justify buying old, a dead mount. EF mount is dead. They're not making any more bodies. They're not making any more lenses. It's all about RF going forward. So why would you invest in a dead mount? When you could just buy, you know, support a brand like Sony that has all these third-party options for you. Brand new third-party options and doesn't block them. And not only just the third-party options, also prices their lenses fairer. So because of all this, the A7, you know, it solved a lot of issues that I had 
with the A7 Mark III because it had a fully articulating screen, it had the better AF. You know, even though it was an issue for me, the grip's a little bit bigger, the battery's, I think, a little bit better. The EVF is better, the screen is still, rear screen's still junk. But otherwise, you know, the R6 was priced high at the time. I was thinking about moving over, so I thought, why not? You know, I won't make as much of a loss, so I managed to sell the A7, uh, the R6 with the adapter, all that kind of stuff. I think in the end, for the body-wise only, I only paid like two, $300 AUD out of pocket to get the A7 Mark IV. So I was pretty happy with that. Hence why I always say you should upgrade before the new body comes out. If I had waited for the R6 Mark II to come out and swapped, the value of that would have dropped as well. And yep, you know, I wouldn't be making as much. So, you know, despite never thinking I would own the Sony A7 Mark IV, because I was so happy with Canon, I now own one for about six months, just over six months. Now it's time to talk about what, you know, I like about the Sony A7 Mark IV. So first off, this, when it comes to the sensor resolution and size, so obviously full frame sensor at 33 megapixels, this wasn't really a selling point for me. I'm not big on megapixels. Whether if this body had 20 megapixels, just like the Canon R6, I would honestly not care. Having 33 is nice, but it doesn't really, you know, change much for me. It's not something that I would buy this camera purely on because I'm not someone that crops huge all the time. I will do it from time to time, but not often. It is good, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm happy with that, but obviously it does have an effect on high ISO performance, which we will go into later, but it is related to the noise pattern. It does let you crop quite a bit. So I had one image, I forgot what it was. Oh, yep. So at the moment, I currently don't have anything telephoto, the only telephoto lens I have is the Sigma 85mm. So that doesn't have a very good short minimum focusing distance. It's only about 85 centimeters. I'm working on that. We'll have a new lens very soon, the Tamron 7180, which will solve that. But because of that, you know, short minimum focus or long minimum focusing distance, what I would do is I would shoot as close as possible near minimum focusing distance on the Sigma 85mm. Then I would use an AI upscaler, something like Topaz, resize, that kind of stuff. And then I would increase the image resolution up, usually by two times or four times. Then I would crop it to the composition I like. By doing that, I still had a bigger image than the original 33 megapixels. So that actually worked really well for me doing that. You can obviously do that with Canon as well. When you're upscaling 20, it depends on what you go up to and you crop it down, it will still be a bit lower compared to what that original 33 was. The other thing I really like was the colors. So a lot of people, you know, argue and complain about who has the best colors. I don't even think Canon has the best. I think if anyone does, maybe it's Fuji. But for me personally, I actually like Sony colors more than Canon. Now, the reason behind that is, I think I even said this when I was shooting Canon. I like a very flat look, a blank canvas, if you will. So when I'm ready to take my photos, I'm not having to sort of remove and change what's already there. With Canon, I feel like the RAW files already have more color and that kind of contrast and that stuff to them. Because of that, I have to strip it all away and start, you know, make it look how I want. And because those stronger colors, I do have a bit more issues with it. Whereas with Sony, I personally feel like they're, when you're shooting RAW, obviously, they can be a bit more flat, which I personally like out of camera. I like my RAW files to be a bit more flat. So that way I can really color grade them and make them what I see and what I envision. So there's no real wrong or right. It's really what suits your editing style, which for me, I like the less saturated colors. Even with Fuji, I don't go with their colors when I edit. I pretty much desaturate and, you know, redo it, color grade everything myself. 
So it's not like it's just Canon, pretty much anyone. I just like the flatter look of a RAW file so I can shape it to myself. Now, when it comes to the autofocus, I'll say when I got it straight out of the box, it was not as good as the Canon. So I was a bit disappointed. But in saying that, I had to change a few say settings in terms of the AF tracking sensitivity. I made it to stick to the subject more and not swap between or not always sort of let go. Once I did that, I'd say normal AF, AF tracking wise, all that kind of stuff, neck and neck with the Canon easily. But IAF is definitely good on the Sony cameras. I haven't had the chance to test like animal IAF or anything like that, but human IAF definitely does really good. Not as good. I feel like we'll get into that later and what I don't like, but there is a slight difference between the two, which we will cover in what I don't like. Now, the one thing I really, really miss from Canon, which the Sony has, Fuji has as well, but the zebra highlight warning. So if you don't know what these are, when you're shooting, say you have shooting at sunset, if you're overexposing your highlight areas, there will be blinkies or zebra lines across the areas that are overexposed. So that way you know not to go that bright, otherwise you're going to blow your highlights. So how this helps is if you've got dark shadows, super bright highlights, you can expose it as bright as you can. And then once you see that your, you know, you say you go over one third of a stop, you can see that your highlights are blown. You can dial it down one third of a stop, no more blown highlights. Even though there's, you can't really see the detail there, there's no blown highlights. So that's it. You take the shot. Then in post, your shadows have still got maximum detail or as good a detail as you can get. And your highlights aren't blown so they can be recovered. So it's a lot better way of shooting. With Canon, I found I was always prioritizing the highlights because I didn't know how far to go over. So I couldn't really overexpose like I do on Sony with, you know, without the help of the zebras. So because of that, I had to spend a lot more time editing to balance the exposure. And often I would end up blowing my highlights because I didn't know what that high level would be, or I'd have to, you know, deal with the shadows. So because of that, I find my editing has been quicker because I'm nailing my exposures a little more thanks to the zebras. And last, you know, but not least, obviously the better lens options. So with Sony, you have lenses for everyone. You've got manual lenses, you've got autofocus lenses, you've got a huge range of first party lenses, a huge range of third party lenses all native, don't have to worry about adapters, but if you do want to adapt, you can even adapt EF lenses with stuff like Metabones or the Sigma MC11. So there's obviously so much options out there for you. Compared to Canon, you don't have that option of third-party lenses. So although I own two Sony brand lenses now, I'm going to be, I own the Sigma 85mm f1.4 DNR, and I'm going to be purchasing very soon the Tamron 70 to 180 f2.8. So because of those, you know, these aren't available on Canon. Honestly, if Canon had had third-party lenses from Sigma and Tamron, if I could get, you know, the Sigma 35mm f1.4 DNR, the 85 DNR, the 7180, and the uh, Sigma 16 to 28, I would stay with Canon. I would not swap brands. I would honestly keep them. Actually, I probably wouldn't get the Sigma 35. I love the RF 35mm. But the main thing is you have those options there, which to me is the most important. If you see the written article, you know, it's all about the ecosystem and that is very true here. And even if you look purely at first party options, the honestly, the first party options are better than Canon, depending on when, when you're looking more at the mid to high end, I'd say your L lenses versus your G or GM lenses, then Sony has better options for cheaper. Budget, it's a bit harder because, you know, say like the 30, Sony 35mm f1.8, I don't like that lens as much as the Canon RF 35 f1.8. IS because that one had much nicer rendering. Sharpness, 
probably the Sony had a little bit better autofocus, but you know, it's always like neck and neck with them. But with say the 35 GM versus the EF35 F1.4 L Mark II, the Sony's smaller, Sony's sharper, Sony has beautiful rendering as well, bokeh is super nice. You know, it's just much, much better for me anyway, better lens options. Obviously, you know, you may prefer Canon still, and that's perfectly fine. I'm not trying to convince you that you should swap or, you know, that Sony's that much better. By the way, that was my chair creaking, if you're wondering what sound that was, if I can't remove it in editing. But there are things I do miss about Canon. So first, what first thing that I miss about Canon? These aren't really deal breakers, but they are minor things. So the ISO performance on the Sony a7 Mark IV isn't as good. Now, this could likely be due to the extra 13 megapixels on, you know, same size sensor. So obviously you have a bit more noise, but I do definitely find there is a difference in the high ISO noise performance. It's not enough to like make me hate the camera, obviously, or even make the post-processing that much harder. But I do feel like the noise pattern on the Canon is very gentle and very soft. The character of it, it doesn't look as harsh. You could shoot at ISO, you know, 16, 20,000, that kind of stuff. It would still look so, so, so clean, which I can't say the same so far for Sony. Obviously as well, the Canon R6 does share the same sensor as the Canon, I'm forgetting the body names already, the Canon 1DX Mark III, I think it was, not four, Mark III. It has have, does have the same sensor and that's in a very expensive body. That is the top of the line body there. So you'd expect it to have very good performance, which it does. I do also find that IBIS, the in-body image stabilization, isn't quite as good. So it's not exactly a fair playing field because on Canon, almost every lens I had had IS, like image stabilization. So from what I had seen of a review comparison one time, testing the IBIS of the two, I wish I still had the link to it, I should have saved it. It found that when you compare IS, you know, an IS lens plus an IS body, the Canon was much, much better compared to the Sony. Whereas if you had both bodies without an IS lens comparing the IBIS, they were pretty much equal. I believe the main difference is due to the way that Canon designed the body. I think they had designed it to work in conjunction with the lens IS to give a much more effective amount of stabilization compared to just pure, you know, IBIS. I'll probably mention it here as well. I do believe there was a bug with the IBIS on firmware version 1.0. The latest is 1.1, which I haven't noticed it, but for some reason, the IBIS was just not effective at all for me when I was on version 1.10, so 1.10. I did find that I had to set it manually to the, you know, whichever focal length to get it to actually be effective. So that's one thing to keep in mind, depending if you have the Sony a7 Mark IV right now, but you're just enjoying this review and you did find that, you know, that was an issue with the, the IBIS, maybe try updating. That seemed to have fixed it for me. Now, earlier I did mention the Canon AF um, was better out of the box. With those changes, it does, you know, make a difference. But I will say that IAF, I noticed it can hit from further with the Sony, after, with the Canon. And it also initiates from more awkward angles. So you could be like dead side on. With Sony, it seems to go to like face eye or spot AF. Whereas with the Canon, it would still track that eye. We'll just show you the little box around the eye. So that worked a lot better, which is kind of funny because Sony were the first ones to really make IAF something big. Other people had it first, I believe, but Sony sort of put it on the map. So it's kind of funny that Canon's overtaken them with that now. Last but not least is the bulb timer. So if you don't know, on Sony, when you want to do a long exposure, you will have to set a bulb timer. So how that works is, I mean, you have to just sort of do, put into bulb mode and you need a remote trigger to start and stop the exposure or use the app, that kind of stuff. On Canon, 
all you would do is you go into your menu, set the bulb timer. So say I want the exposure to go for two minutes. You start the camera with, you know, you can even do two second um, timer. So that way it doesn't have any camera shake. Start the camera. It would have a countdown, a timer on the screen. Once it hits two minutes, it would automatically stop for you. But so if you're doing stuff like long exposures, landscapes, it removes the need to have a remote trigger, which is needed for Sony. I remember with my A7 Mark III when I went to America, I forgot to bring my remote trigger. So when I was up, you know, at, I forgot the name of that, Battery Spencer, looking at the Bay Bridge, you know, I wanted to do an exposure longer than 30 seconds, but because I forgot my timer, wasn't possible. I, I, I guess I could have used my phone, but you know, when you're traveling, you need to conserve, conserve your phone battery, your camera battery, everything needs to be used in moderation. So that I missed out. So there is meant to possibly rumored to be a firmware update soon, which will add focus stacking. If that is the case, I really hope they all um, add a bulb timer. If they do, this camera will be so amazing for me. That's the, the main issue I had, you know, that you could easily change from firmware. So please, please, please add that Sony. Otherwise, I am extremely happy with this camera. Fall in love with it more and more every time I use it, especially with the lenses. Each time I think, oh, you know, I don't know if I'll get some good shot with this. It delivers each time. Every time I use the 35GM, I fall in love with that, that lens, that focal length more and more. Same for the Sigma 85mm DNR. I just find I love the lenses way more. With Canon, I love the body more than I love the lenses. Whereas with Sony, I do love the body, but the lenses are just what really drives me in. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, as the title of this review goes, it's all about the ecosystem. The ecosystem is the most important thing. It's not just about which body is the best or which lenses are the best. It's about, you know, if anything, I'd say it's more about the lenses, but it's what you can get in that system. And to me, Sony has the most compelling range of lenses. In the future, if say, for example, there was no changes in the bodies, they still perform on the same level, but you have all Tamron's lens library, lens library all Samyang's, all uh, Sigma's lenses available on Canon RF mount directly. No adapter sharing their AF algorithm like Sony does. Then I honestly think Sony, I mean, Canon may have the slight advantage being 100% fair, 100% honest. I do think, you know, their bodies would be a little bit better. And I still prefer the Canon body a tiny bit, but the, with the current situation it is, the Sony to me is so much better value you know, support a company that's going to actually care about its consumers and, you know, give them so many options, you know, like kind of like the gaming approach, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's pretty much my conclusion. Would highly recommend this body. If you do want to see all the images I took with this camera, they're all in the article. So make sure to check that out. If you haven't seen that, but you just see this review pop up, all the links are in the show notes. I will be back again. I've nearly finished my Fuji 33mm f1.4 reviews so that one will be the next one to come up and then once i'm back from japan which is very soon i'm going very soon i will also do a pod special podcast episode about my experience there and with all the photos so that i think you'll probably get a podcast a bonus episode or a special episode once a month won't be any more frequently yet but i do feel it's going to come back maybe middle of the year my work is starting to stabilize you know i'm i'm still new but I'm starting to be able to work from home, getting a bit of time back, that kind of stuff. So once that stabilizes, then I will definitely be back to the podcast. Not going to quit it. But for now, I'm just going to be focusing on these reviews, these very unique bonus episodes, like about my experience doing photography in Japan, all that kind of stuff. So either way, thank you very much for listening. If you made it to the end, please make sure to subscribe. You can visit my personal blog with all my photography in the show notes. It's photosbydow.com. 
I use Twitter, Reddit, and Flickr the most, aside from the blog. Otherwise, you can find more reviews, more podcast episodes, everything by subscribing or going to thephotographyenthusiast.com. Link is in the show notes. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and take care. See you later.